The African Cup of Nations is finally, finally here. In this episode of the Tactics Room, we'll discuss some of the players and nations that you're going to want to keep an eye on. Title favorites, rising stars, one nation claiming corruption before the thing has even kicked off. Oh, it's fantastic. The next month of African football will be thrilling. So let's chat about it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the Tactics Room podcast presented by Brigna Lines. My name is Will Fowler. So happy that you've chosen to join me today again. Well, for some of you again, for others, maybe it's the first time. Welcome. Uh, But so happy that all of you have chosen to join me for 40 to 45 minutes to preview this fascinating competition, the African Cup of Nations. Now, it's been a minute, first and foremost, before we even dive into any football related conversation, it's been a minute. Um, took some time off for the holiday, uh, Christmas, New Year's, uh, had to see the family, get my get my feet settled. Um, decent decent couple of weeks, but we're back on the grind. Hope you also had a fantastic holiday season. Cannot forget about all of the faithful and loyal listeners and readers of, uh, of Breaking the Line. Hope you had a great holiday season. Hope you had a happy new year. Hope 2022. Well, first of all, hope 2022 is better than either of the last two years. But also, and more personally, hope 2022 is your best year yet. So happy that you've chosen to kick it off, uh, kind of, with an episode of uh, of the Tactics Room. So let's jump in. Let's, let's discuss this competition. Let's talk about AFCON. The African Cup of Nations for long, hosted in Cameroon for the next month. It's it's all of Africa's top top talent coming together for a three to four week festival of football. Because this is a competition that was actually supposed to happen a season ago. It was, it was not supposed to be in January and February 2022. And by the way, stop stop sleeping on Afcon. Stop disrespecting this competition. Patrick Vieira absolutely nailed it. I'm already going off on a tangent. If you're new to the podcast, that's kind of a thing that we do. Patrick Vieira absolutely nailed it when he said he will never get in the way of his players going and representing the nations. I don't care that it's inconvenient for your club. Representing your nation in a competition like this is the the highest honor that most athletes can earn. So quit disrespecting this competition because it's just as important as Copa America, as the Euros, and as the Gold Cup that we all watched and lauded over in June, July, August of a season ago. That's out of the way. Quit disrespecting this competition. It's going to be so, so, so fun. So what do we have in store for today? Well, we've got uh, a little bit of a preview. This is not the last time we're going to talk about this competition on this podcast. We're going to come out and preview some of the, the biggest things that I want to touch on. Not group by group. There's a million of those out there. You can go and find the different ones. We're going to chat about five nations to watch and five players to watch that maybe are a bit under the radar. It's a little bit of both. It's a bit of, of nations to watch that are our title favorites and that maybe are being slept on a bit. And then players to watch who some you've heard of, some you maybe haven't heard of, but can make a big, big step at this competition. That's what's in store for today. We'll dive right into it. But first, if you enjoy what you hear in the next 40 to 45 minutes, please do consider hitting that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from and go and follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter at BTLVid. Whole lot of content like this on the way. Uh, Had to get that plug in there before we jump in because this is going to be a, a very impassioned conversation because... I love this competition. I mean, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love this competition. I love the African Cup of Nations. So let's jump right in. Five nations to watch. 
the first one, let's start, uh, let's start with the simple one. Let's start with the nation that's hosting, and that's Cameroon. There was a time when the host of this competition, the host of the African Cup of Nations, was heavily favored, if not expected, to lift the trophy when all was said and done. Back in the early editions, the early installments of this competition, you can go back and, and take a look at the year-by-year history. The host oftentimes won this competition. But recently, that hasn't been the case. The host hasn't won this competition in the last six tries. That spans across seven hosts. Um, 0, 0 for 7 in the last six AFCONs. So the, the time of this competition's host being a lock to win the competition are well in the past. And Cameroon is not favored this year, nor should they be. But they have historically been very, very good on home soil, and they've got players that can make them a dark horse, which is why they really, really intrigue me, because this is a competition where we oftentimes see those nations that are not entering as favorites to go on and make deep runs and sometimes win the entire thing. Cameroon can be one of those nations this year, and they're backed by home field advantage. Talented squad that includes one of the best keepers at the competition, Andre Onana, of course, at Ajax, potentially on the move to Inter Milan, just returned from that nine-month doping suspension, but also Andre Zambo Anguizo, who's blossomed into a real, real midfielder, a real player for Napoli. He's evolved into a really, really solid defensive midfielder, and this attack, this Cameroonian attack, can be much better than maybe you initially expect it to be. It's no, it's no Samuel Eto anymore, but they've got a player in Eric Maxim Chupamoting, very good number nine to have, and obviously he's played in some of the biggest competitions that club football has to offer at some of the biggest clubs that club football has to offer. He's flanked by some skilled wingers, Carl Tokowikambi at Lyon, Mumi and Gamaleyo at Young Boys, who we actually spoke about on this podcast uh, a few, actually episode, oh, it wasn't episode one, no, it wasn't, it, it might, episode two or three, when Young Boys uh, knocked off Manchester United on match day one of the Champions League. Uh, Ngamaleu played a crucially important role in that, so we've already discussed him on this podcast, we're getting a chance to discuss him again, but a player that I want to keep an eye on for this Cameroonian side is Vincent Abubakar, key player to watch, striker in the side, their highest, what's the best way to phrase this, their, their, the, the most goals out of any active players, I don't know why that was so difficult to spit out, because it was a quite simple concept, um, but 28 goals in 76 caps, he's scored some crucially important goals in the recent history of this Cameroon national side. And they play in a relatively simple group. Of course, they're the hosts, so they've been drawn into Group A. They've been drawn with Burkina Faso, who we'll speak about in a little bit, but also Cape Verde and Ethiopia. Ethiopia competing in their first AFCON ever. Cape Verde, not something to be crazy about. So Cameroon are in a very, very good position to, at the very least, advance out of the group and maybe even make a run. And of course, they're the hosts. Now, how much will that matter in this competition? It might have a minimal impact given what the, the attendance limitations are. I believe it's like 70%, 60% in most venues. So maybe that home pitch advantage doesn't play as much a role as it has in the past, but still, they've got home pitch advantage in their back pocket. That's something that none of the other 23 nations in this competition can say. Uh, let's go from Cameroon to the odds-on favorite to win this competition. And Alex Barker, if you're listening, this segment is for you um, because I know how high you are on this Senegal national team, the current kings of African football, though they need a trophy to show for it. 
because they're the only African side ranked in the FIFA Top 20 currently. They've been sitting, they've been hovering between the 20 to 25 range for the last few years, and they've topped the African charts in every single ranking since November 2018. That's almost four years that FIFA has acknowledged them as the best national team in Africa. And they're objectively correct. This Senegal squad is so, so talented. They ran through World Cup qualifying, won five out of six. The only one they didn't win, they drew. Um, it was a similar story in AFCON qualifying, conceded just twice en route to an unbeaten campaign. But once they get to the competitions, once they get to the, the big times, they've underwhelmed. Objectively, they've underwhelmed. In the World Cup in 2018, they fell out in the group stage of a group that was certainly open for them to, to at least advance from with Japan, Poland, and Colombia. And they lost in heartbreaking fashion to Algeria in the 2019 AFCON final, meaning they're still empty-handed. This could be their best chance. They've got this fantastically skilled squad. And in fact, that loss to Algeria, that 1-0 defeat in the AFCON final in 2019, depending on what you think of the Kosafa Cup, that was their last competitive loss. That was their last competitive loss. And if you're not familiar with what the Kosafa Cup is, it's, it's a Southern African competition. Senegal were invited to compete uh, in the most recent installment. Senegal's squad, it was not their full-strength squad. It was, it was th their best players were absent. So, so do with that what you will. Um, technically, they did lose twice in that competition. But if you're looking at a full-strength Senegal side, they have not lost since that uh, 2019 AFCON final. Of course, when you think about Senegal, the first name you think of is Sadio Mane, the captain, the headline player, um, the winger for Liverpool, but expect him to play more number 10 than winger uh, for this Senegal side. Senegal like to play in that 4-2-3-1, and when they do play in that 4-2-3-1, we see Sadio Mane play as the attacking midfielder, and it's because he's got quality attacking players around him who can who can also play wide. Ishmael Assar is in the Senegal squad at Watford. Habib Diallo is playing in the Senegal squad. Uh, Boule Dia, the striker at Villarreal, will likely lead the lines, and he's a, a quality traditional center forward. So strength is everywhere in this Senegalese attack. In midfield, it's another quality crop. Idrissa Ganagay at PSG. Papa Gay, Pape Matarsar in midfield. And in defense, Kyle Dukulabali looks to be back and healthy, to anchor the center of defense. Of course, he's been in and out of the Napoli side due to injury, and it looks like he's back and fully healthy. If he is at 100% fitness, he is the best defensive player at this competition, Kelly Dukulabali, the big, strong, physical center back who's anchored this defense for years and years. He will be crucial for them. And of course, Edouard Mendy in goal. I mean, Edouard Mendy is arguably one of the most, not arguably, he is one of the most informed keepers on the planet at the moment. He's been one of the most informed keepers of the last 18 months since Chelsea acquired him from uh, from Rand in Liga, and he will be playing in goal for Senegal. Current favorites to win AFCON, and for good reason. And, and maybe you like them, maybe you don't. Maybe the expectations are too high for a side that hasn't been able to get over that big hump, whether it be specifically in African competition or in the World Cup, but Senegal are the current favorite to win this competition, and it's for good reason. I'm going to jump to a nation that I think is being slept on a bit. Not that they're my favorite to my, my, my number one favorite to win this whole thing, but I think they have much better odds than they're maybe getting credit for. And that's the Ivory Coast. I'm really, really intrigued. 
I'm infatuated uh, by this team, by this 11. And they're such an interesting case because they have some of the best combined individual talent on the continent. But like Senegal, they've consistently underperformed in tournaments like this one and in World Cup qualifying. They're already eliminated from the, the World Cup in 2022. They were knocked out in the qualifying second round. They finished second in the same group as Cameroon. And of course, in African qualifying, you must finish first in the second round to advance to that third round playoff. Ivory Coast finished second, so they won't be in Qatar in 2022. They haven't gotten past the quarterfinal of this competition since they won it all in 2015. And so maybe I will sound naive if I say that they're one of my favorites to win the entire competition. One of my favorites to win the entire competition. But like I said, I'm so interested. I'm so intrigued by this 11. They can be versatile in defense, which is key. They've got three really good center backs that can play in a back three or in a back four. We'll talk about one of them a little bit later. They've got wide midfielders and fullbacks that can fill multiple roles. Serge Aurier, Maxwell Cornet at Burnley. It's it, it's a versatile defense. You can play in a back three, a back five, a back four. They're very, very strong in midfield with Frank Hesse, Ibrahim Sangare, again, another player who we'll talk about in a little bit. Jeremy Boga at Sassuolo is a player that I love, but the biggest strength in this Ivorian attack, in this Ivorian side, could be the attack. I gave it away. But the biggest strength in this Ivorian side could be in attack because they've got three really good players. And say what you want about how they perform at club level, particularly Nicola Pepe. But they've got three really good players in attack who can work well together. They've got Nicola Pepe at Arsenal who can play over on the right, Wilfred Zaha who can play over on the left, and maybe the world's hottest striker on the planet in Sebastian Haller at Ajax, a guy who was outcast from West Ham United, what, two seasons ago, less than two years ago, and he has evolved into one of the world's hottest center forwards. The problem is, and, and, and I will acknowledge it with this Ivorian side, the problem is these players aren't new. It's not like these are 21, 22-year-olds who are coming through the youth ranks and now they're playing at the senior level and they're still learning how to play with each other. These are players who have played together for a while, most of, and they still haven't figured out how to put it together consistently on the big stage. But I hope that this is the year because this is a wildly intriguing side in terms of the individual ability that they have. And they're also aesthetically pleasing. I mean, you, you can't tell me, I mean, at least me growing up. I mean, I, I was born in 99. So growing up on the 2010, 2014 World Cups, the, the, one of the sides that I always looked forward to watching every single time the competition came around was seeing those, those beautiful orange kits come out the tunnel and seeing the, the, the drug buzz and the tores of, of those old Ivory Coast squads. And obviously it's different now. And so that's not a reason to back somebody as a, as a favorite, but um, when Ivory Coast are playing well, at least for myself and for people around my age, I think we can agree that it's it's more fun to watch when Ivory Coast are playing well because they've got a lot of ability, but they're also, they, they know how to do their kits. Though to be said, um, African football as a whole, I mean, the kits are gorgeous. Puma does a fantastic job, and I know there are a few other sponsors involved, but um, it, it, if there's one thing that, that African football does well, among other things, it's the gorgeous attire that they send their national teams out with. Always, always a fun watch. Um, aside from that, though, because I can laud over the Ivory Coast kit and pants for years and years, and I will not. I've got two more nations to preview. Um, another nation that I'm keeping an eye on, that I've, if you follow me on Twitter and if you, if you know my opinion uh, on, on more than just what you hear from this podcast, 
This will not come as a surprise. Um, but another nation that I'm watching very, very closely is Mali, who've become one of my favorite African nations to keep an eye on in the last 12 months. Uh, they've never played in a World Cup, but they have earned a place in that third round playoff this time around. So they could be playing in their first uh, their first World Cup ever. And that's no fluke. I spoke about this national team a few weeks ago on the Breaking the Lines Twitter spaces with Adam um, and Alex. It was, it was a fun chat, uh, and, and I, I really, really went in on this Mali side because I'm very, very high on them. This is a wildly talented group of young players, and that's the biggest thing, is young players, and where they're strongest is in midfield. That's, that's where <sighs> Mali will be taken as far as this midfield unit will take them because it is a really, really impressive trio. Well, it's more than a trio. They've got four or five quality midfielders. The big one is obviously Yves Bissouma at Brighton and Hove Albion. Obviously, he's been in and out of, of Brighton at, at club level for reasons that we won't get into on this podcast. Um, but he is back. He's in the side. Uh, he's in this this Mali squad list for the African Cup of Nations. He's the headliner. He should walk into the 11. But it's also bolstered by players like Mohamed Kamara. And if you know me well, and if you listen to the early editions of this podcast, you know that Kamara is a player that I'm very, very high on. Plays at Erby Salzburg. Will get a move inevitably uh, very, very soon. This is also a national team with Amadou Haidara at Leipzig. Diadi Samaseku at Hoffenheim. So it's a really good group of midfielders that they have. Quality in, in that area of the pitch, which in international competitions... Quality in midfield may be the most important thing um, because you don't play with each other very often, certainly not as much as you do at club level. Um, and if you can have cohesion in that middle third, that will get you very, very far. And this Mali side has it. But in attack, there's still players. There's Gineppo at Southampton, Dumbia, uh, Ibrahima Kone, who's an exciting forward. So they should have no problem advancing out of this group. Uh, they're in group F. I should have written it down. They're in Group F, if I remember correctly, with uh, the Gambia, Mauritania, and Tunisia. So they should have no problem with the Gambia and Mauritania, although the Gambia do have some exciting players who I unfortunately won't get into on this podcast. But they're a side that I'm, 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 I'm putting on the back burner. I'm, I'm keeping, I'm, I'm remaining aware of the Gambia, but I'm talking mostly about Mali here. Uh, but that group stage match against Tunisia, against Tunisia should act as a very nice test uh, not just for their AFCON hopes, but also hopefully for measuring how they stack up against the best in World Cup qualifying. Because, of course, Tunisia were a World Cup side in 2018, but they're also fairly consistently. I think right now they're the second ranked uh, team in Africa, according to FIFA. So not an easy task. That, that group stage match against Tunisia will be a fantastic test for this young Mali side. 4-2-3-1 uh, is expected. A, a midfield pivot of Mohamed Kamara and Yves Basuma is, is leaving me salivating. That would be spectacular to watch. But they can also play in a 4-3-3. Bit of tactical flexibility on that front. So Mali, one of the nations that I'm watching very, very closely when this thing kicks off. And number five, and this one is interesting to me. This one has, has really uh, piqued my interest, especially at the time of recording, over the last 24 hours. Uh, Burkina Faso are going from a nation who might be able to make a run but are, aren't, aren't on many people's radars to a nation that could very quickly become one in the spotlight. Uh, Burkina Faso will waste no time introducing itself to the world stage, at least if you're watching this competition, because they're playing in the tournament's first match against the hosts. 
in, in Cameroon. And they've actually been pretty good in this competition, historically. Despite not being one of the consistent powerhouses, uh, they finished third in 2017. They finished as runners-up in 2013. And I, what I want to say about this, this Burkinabe side is... They're one that I'm excited to learn more about because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and spew and act as if I'm this I'm this Burkina Faso football expert, but there are a couple of things about this side that I, that really really intrigue me based on track records, based on individuals. It's a side that will be exciting to learn more about. They went undefeated in Afcon qualifying, played six, won three, drew three, only conceded twice in six games, and in World Cup qualifying, they pushed Algeria to the brink. They ultimately finished second. Algeria, who are objectively the better side, won the group as they should have. They're playing in that in that uh, African playoff in the third round. Um, but they were pushed to the brink by this Burkina Bay side. Burkina Faso drew them twice, including once in Algiers. So they were never an easy out, and Algeria dropped four out of the possible six points against them. That's largely thanks to a defense that includes uh, two players. The first one is Issa Cabore, who is on the books at Manchester City, but is on loan at Trois in Liga. But also, and maybe more importantly, the, the center-back from Bayer Leverkusen, Edmund Tapsoba, who is, is he's one of a couple really talented young defenders that Leverkusen have. Uh, but Tapsoba is arguably the... the the highest rated currently of all of them. Very progressive center back. Really nobody in Europe in terms of defenders progressed the ball the way that Tapsoba does and just in terms of, of, of progressive distance, carried, passing, whatever. Um, very, very skilled center back in possession. Obviously, a bit decent out of possession as well. Um, but both of them will be crucial if Burkina Faso are to make a run, Tapsoba and uh, Issa Cabore. But the biggest name here is is Bertrand Traore because he was uh, in the youth ranks he was lauded as the next big thing in Burkina Faso football he was looked at as a player who would reach the the highest heights that Europe had to offer um and he's been good he, he's developed into a good player he was playing well at uh, at Lyon before he moved to Aston Villa and he's played decently as Aston Villa now but he's the biggest issue with Bertrand Traore and by the way I should have mentioned this earlier Burkina Faso go largely as far as Bertrand Traore takes him. That's how important he is. That's how imperative he is to this Burkina Faso side. Um, but the issue is Traore has been battling fitness issues. He's only played in two matches since October 3rd. So it's a, it's a two-sided coin, isn't it? Because on one side, you could say, well, he's he's not match fit. He hasn't played much recently. He, he won't be at 100%. But he's also pretty damn rested. He's also, you know, he, he doesn't have that that wear and tear, that grind of, of four months of a club season under his belt, like many of the players competing in this competition will have. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because we don't really know what to expect from Virgin Traore. And for a side like Burkina Faso, who really, really rely on what Traore gives them, that's a big question mark to have. Here's why I love Burkina Faso, um, among other reasons. But here's the, the reason I alluded to it back in uh, in the tease, is they've they've returned nine positive COVID tests uh, as of, what, like seven or eight hours ago from the time of recording. They've returned nine positive COVID tests, is the report. And the uh, claim from some, including Bertrand Traore, is that it's been fixed uh, and that, that this is, it's a ploy to, I suppose, give Cameroon a win or, or make things easier for Cameroon because Cameroon are obviously playing against Burkina Faso in the first round, or in the first match, they excuse me, 
and Burkina Faso will undoubtedly be Cameroon's biggest competition out of Group A, again, with, with Cape Verde and Ethiopia. So um, an interesting story to keep an eye on, uh, is what I will say about that. It's one that uh, that has brought Burkina Faso a bit more into prevalence. And if that is the case, if that is, and, you know, we have no way to prove if it is or if it, is or if it isn't, but... Um, Starting AFCON off with a bang, I, I will say. Starting AFCON, starting AFCON off with some off-the-pitch excitement. These claims that uh, that uh, the, the these COVID tests are, are are not actually positive, that it, it's it's a lie and that it's a ploy. Um, keep your eye on it because that'll be one that I'm sure will not end right away. Uh, but on the pitch, Burkina Faso, a club, a club, a nation that I'm keeping a very very close eye on, along with Mali, Ivory Coast, Senegal, and Cameroon. Those are my five, although you can make pitches for virtually every single cl- nation. I keep saying club. I always do that on this podcast. I, whenever I'm talking about international football, I always say club because that's muscle memory. But these aren't clubs, and you have to remember, these are national teams. So those are my five, Cameroon, Senegal, Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, and Mali that I'm keeping an eye on. Though, again, all 24 nations have interesting things about them. They all have, whether it's their first time competing or if they've got some young wonder kid who's climbing the ranks in Europe or if they're a favorite to win the whole damn thing. Um, Every nation has something interesting to offer. I've read some really fantastic preview pieces. Um, You can find them anywhere. They've actually helped me a lot with with finding the nooks and crannies of of this particular episode. So, um, but yeah, all 24 nations are intriguing and this would be a thrilling competition if, uh, if I didn't, exude that already with the first, what, 28 and a half minutes of this podcast. Um, let's move on to my players to watch, because I've got five. I've actually got six, but, uh, you know, who's going to get me in trouble? It's my podcast, so you're going to have to deal with it. i got five players to watch, six players to watch, um, and let's jump right in. Let, let's start with players who, who play for nations that I've already mentioned. And there's only two, and they play for the same nation. I tried to diversify on that front, but there's two, and they play for the same nation. And that's Odile and Casano and Ibrahim Sangare, both competing uh, at this competition for the Ivory Coast. Um, we'll start with with Casano because he's first on my list. He is one for the future at Bayer Leverkusen, along with Edmund Tapsoba, who we, we spoke about a bit earlier. Um, Casano is is on that same tier. Center back partners with Tapsoba at at, uh, at Leverkusen, an effective ball playing center back, good one v one, progressive in possession, both as a passer and as a dribbler. He's 73rd percentile among center backs in progressive carrying distance, 82nd percentile in in progressive passing distance. He's very good in the air. Um, he should start uh, whether Ivory Coast playing a back three or a back four. And this is where I was alluding to when I spoke about the Ivory Coast and how how tactically flexible they can be. Is they've got some really good defensive players. They've got Kasanu, they've got Willie Bali, they've got Eric Bailly, who, um, again, with Bailly specifically, say what you want about him at club level, but for the Ivory Coast, he's actually a very good center back. They've got fullbacks who can play as wingbacks. They've got wide midfielders who can play as wingbacks. So uh, a very tactically flexible and versatile Ivory Coast defense. Um, and then Sangare, who, who plays his club football at PSV, who, who will more than likely end... It's tough to pick out where it'll be. It probably won't be as, as the deepest midfielder. That'll probably be, be, uh, be Frank Kessie. But Sangare will be playing in this Ivorian midfield. Uh, very defensively strong. But really, he, he's strong everywhere. He does everything for, for PSV and for this Ivorian midfield. Um, again, he won't anchor it, but he will offer plenty defensively. He's been a top prospect for a while, and he's developing at a very impressive rate. Five and a half tackles and interceptions per game this season at PSV. He is aerially dominant. He wins 81% of his duels, his duels, excuse me. 
He's yet to make a single error. And this is the this is what, what really impressed me the most, is he's yet to make a single error that leads to a shot or a goal. When you talk about midfielders that are as involved in the team, both in and out of possession, as Sangare is with, with PSV, the fact that he hasn't made a single error leading to a shot or a goal is really, really impressive. Um, like I said, he offers more, though. He offers quite a bit in, in terms of progressing the ball, 2.1 completed dribbles per match. He completes 80, 87% of his passes. He's difficult to dispossess. He'll be, player, he'll be paired with, with Frank Kessie, whether Ivory Coast play uh, in a 3-4-3, which I would actually back them to, or maybe they can play in a 4-2-3-1 or a traditional 4-3-3. They've got options. Um, Sangare will, will have a place in the team regardless. You pair him with Kessie. You pair him with, with Frank Kessie, and they've got one of the most complete and talented midfield pivots and maybe midfields in the entire competition. That's part of the reason why I'm so high on them, is, is that pairing of Kasanu and Sangare, but more specifically, Sangare, because I think he he can really, really show out. He's one of those players who's on my, like, breakout watch list. There's always a couple, right? There's always a couple players who show up at these international competitions, and they just ball out. They put themselves on the radar. I think the one that we can point to, among others, but the one that we can point to from the Euros is is the first one that comes to mind for me is Memo Locatelli for, for uh, Italy and now playing at Juventus. There's always one. There's always somebody who breaks out and just and is officially on the world radar. And I think that could be Ibrahim Sangare, depending on how far Ivory Coast go in this competition. So Sangare, Kasanu, let's talk about the others. And these players are, are competing for nations that I haven't yet mentioned. Diversify a little bit. Uh, the first one that I've got comes by way of Zimbabwe, Tino Kadoweri, the winger at uh, Olympique Lyonnais. And this is a player who has had an interesting trajectory at club level because he's been an important player for Lyon. He was an important player for Lyon last season, but he's fallen out of favor in 2021, 2022, thanks to a number of different reasons. Uh, faced a leg injury earlier in the season. He took a red card suspension. Um, but for Zimbabwe specifically, he's at the center of this side that are one of the outsiders, but could push for a spot in the knockouts. Their group is not overly difficult. They're drawn with a uh, title favorite Senegal. But aside from that, they're played with they're they're paired with Guinea and Malawi. So very much an open door for Zimbabwe to get through and reach the last 16. Um Kadawari, he's got the build of a striker, but can play on the wing, and that's where he plays most of his football. He plays out on the wing. He's really good out of possession. Uh statistically, he wins the ball back at an above average rate compared to other forwards. Uh, two, almost three tackles and interceptions per 90, which is 74th percentile among other forwards. And when he was playing consistently for Lyon, he scored goals at a very good rate. 10 goals in 2020-2021. But here's the caveat. He kept pace with his expected goals, which hints that he didn't do a whole lot special in terms of his his finishing. He didn't, he was not there scoring worldies. He was scoring goals that he was expected to score. And his average shot distance was, was 12.1 yards, which is one of the lowest in Europe last season. That's effectively uh, your average shot distance is from the penalty spot. Um, so my question is, if, if his goal numbers and his expected goal numbers hint that maybe he was a product of the service he received, can he replicate that with a Zimbabwe side that's just inherently weaker? He's got much more to do. We will see. But Tino Kataweri, a player that I'm keeping an eye on, because I would like to see how he rebounds. Because again, he's been out of favor at Lyon, but we know he's a good player. A season ago, and, and really the last couple of seasons, He's been a very, very good player. So Kadawari is player number three. Player number four is actually competing in the same group. And it's striker Mohamed Bayo for Guinea. Top scorer in League Two a season ago with Clermont Foot. 
And that is translated to the top flight. Maybe we weren't, we didn't know if, if those goals would jump. They have uh, from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1. Nine goals this season in the French top flight. That's tied for the third most in the entire league. The thing with Bayou is that he is a striker who, who well, he, he is a skilled dribbler. He, he, does, he does complete dribbles at an effective rate. He does create shot and goal creating actions through his dribbling, but he is still a player who needs service in order to consistently score because a lot of his goals come from that poacher's instinct, knowing where and how to get free in the box. His average shot distance, similar to Kataweri, only 12.3 yards from goal, which means that um, he, he's in... in he's very good at finding space in the box and finishing consistently. He's an efficient goal scorer. He ranks highly in terms of shots on target percentage and goals per shot on target, which means that he doesn't need a whole lot of opportunities to make an impact on the game. Um, he also can connect play in the final third. 1.3 key, 1.3 key passes is an impressive number. But the reason why I'm not super, super concerned is that this Guinea side still do have players that can provide him the service that he needs because it is a strong we're going to call it a midfield trio. All three might not be playing at the same time, but a midfield of Nabi Keita, Amadou Daiwara, and Ilaish Mariba is a strong midfield to have in this competition, and they've got a really good striker in Mohamed Bayo who can find the back of the net. The interesting thing about Bayo, only five competitive caps uh, with the Guinea national team. Only five. Two goals and one assist. Uh, but he's not some some national team veteran. He, he's Obviously, he's still very young. He's still a very young player. But he's also still relatively new to this national team, which is, it makes it all that all the more intriguing, doesn't it? Because we don't know what he's going to provide, and we know that he's trying to make an impact on what is his first major tournament with uh, with his national team. So, Mohamed Bayo, player number four. Let's go to player number five. I've got two left. I want to figure out who I want to save for last. Let's do this. Let's go to let's go to the other striker, and then we'll get to. The last player that I have. Uh, we're going to go to Nigeria. And the reason why Taiwo Awoni intrigued me so much is because he's very quickly being thrust into this role that is bigger than what he probably expected it to be a month ago, two weeks ago. Um, striker for Nigeria. Not sure if he'll start over Kaleji Iheanacho. But now that this Nigerian side don't have Victor Oshiman, don't have Emmanuel Dennis, don't have Odioni Gallo... He will play a massive role regardless of whether or not he starts over or alongside Kalecha Iheanacho. Um, Awani is a consistent goal scorer, nine goals in 17 matches since permanently signing for Union Berlin from Liverpool over the summer. He's had a bit of an interesting road because he, he's been technically with Liverpool between 2015 and 2021, but he was sent out on loan seven different times, seven different loans. Liverpool sent Awoni out on. And he's finally finding his footing. Not that he was poor for Union Berlin a season ago, because he was with Union Berlin in 2020-2021. But he this season, he's one of the best strikers in the Bundesliga in terms of finding the back of the net. Again, nine goals in 17 matches. Um, Awoni is very much a goal-scoring forward. He doesn't get involved much on the ball aside from putting it in the back of the net. But he is intelligent out of possession. He makes runs behind. He finds space in the box. Um, he, he's a fun player to watch, especially for an Union side that that really, really utilizes his abilities as one of their best players. Uh, just five foot ten, but but strong on the ball. Doesn't mind running at players either. He uses uh, that strength combined with the, those sneaky bursts of pace to catch defenders by surprise. Um, 
And he, he will play a big role with this Nigerian side. And I wouldn't be surprised if he found the back of the net a couple of times. Because I think him paired with Iheanacho. Again, we don't know if Nigeria will play with two strikers. They may very well go to the 4-3-3 that they've, they've played in forever. Um, but if they choose to play with, whether it's a 4-4-2 with Awoni and, and Iheanacho, or maybe a 4-3-3 a, a where one of the two doesn't play centrally, maybe one of the two plays as more of an inside forward. Regardless, um, Awoni will play a big, big role, and the role just got much, much bigger because this this whole this saga this evolving saga of Nigeria and their strikers not being able to participate in the in the African Cup of Nations has paved the way for someone like Awani to really really leave his mark so excited for him big opportunity and I think that uh, we'll see we'll see quite a few good things from this Union Berlin forward player number five technically player number six but player number five because I advertise it as five players to watch Let's go to a nation that still makes my spine shudder because as an American, I don't often enjoy tossing good words to the Ghanaian national team. They had our number for so, so long. For years in the World Cup, they had our number. 2006, 2010, that's really it. But still, 2006 in the group stage, 2010 in the round of 16. And then we got our revenge, didn't we, in 2014. We got our revenge in the group stage. Clint Dempsey... 30 seconds in, John Brooks from a corner to make it 2-1. We got our revenge. That being said, Ghana still have given me some, some nights of heartbreak. Um, but there, it, it is an objectively very fun side to watch. It, this Ghanaian side will, I think, be one of the sleepers to win this competition. I put Ghana, Ghana, I put Ghana in the same tier as, as the Ivory Coast. Nations that have a lot of individual talent, um, probably not in your top tier of favorites to win the competition objectively, although I already spoke about how Ivory Coast are up there for me. I'm probably higher on them than some others, but... Um, objectively, I think we can place Ghana and the Ivory Coast on, uh, on the same tier. And one player that I'm really looking at for Ghana, who I think is fitting to end this segment with, because he's so electrifying, is Kamaldin Suleimana at, uh, at Stade Rene in Liga. In a word, and I know I've already used this word to describe Suleimana, but I'll use it again because it needs to be repeated. Suleimana is electrifying. It is impossible to take your eyes off of a player of his caliber. He gives opposing fullbacks nightmares, absolute nightmares. And I know that's a cliche. Whenever we speak of any winger who is an effective dribbler, good 1v1, oh, they give the fullback nightmares. No, like Kamaldin Suleimana gives opposing fullbacks nightmares thanks to his dribbling ability, his 1v1 acumen, and not to mention the pace. I mean, this guy this guy is a FIFA Ultimate Team glitch. If you need a league and a starter side, Kamaldin Suleimana, play him over on the right. Or on the left, he can play on both, doesn't matter. Um, 99th percentile in dribbles attempted, dribbles completed, players dribbled past. This guy will look at any defender standing in his way and spit on him as he dribbles past him. One of the most progressive carriers of the ball in all of Europe. Also a nightmare out of possession, by the way. He's not just effective when he's got the ball at his feet, although he's wildly effective when he has the ball at his, at his feet. Um, he's above the 90th percentile in both tackles and tackles one. He's 99th percentile in tackles in the attacking third. Pressurizes the ball well. Um, and for what it's worth, they can pick out a player with a long pass. He's got surprisingly good pass completion numbers, medium distance, long distance. Um, and for a, an effective winger who whose calling card to his game is his dribbling ability and his 1v1 ability, we don't always see that paired with, with uh, uh, somebody who's a skilled passer. But Suleimana is. 
Um, the only thing really missing from his game is his end product. He's one of those wingers that can do everything except put the ball in the back of the net. Doesn't score many goals. Isn't an overly efficient shooter. Just 30% of his shots end up finding the target, but still a wildly exciting player that will play a massive role for Ghana. And I'm just starting to get over my heartbreak. So I, I, I do think that Ghana will make a run. I do, I do like Ghana a lot, actually, objectively, as a side that can, uh, that can maybe surprise some people. Because it is a fun team. I mean, it is, it is a fun team. You've got the Ayus, you've got Thomas Partey. It, uh, they had a couple of players who they didn't bring along, actually, that I was uh, a bit surprised by. Kamal Soa at Club Bruges is a player who I, I really enjoy watching, and they didn't bring him along. So um, regardless, this Ghanaian side will be an interesting watch. They play in Group C. They play with Morocco, actually. So there, there's that headline match out of Group C is Ghana and Morocco. Um but they've also got Gabon, so Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang going against this, this Ghanaian midfield in the fence. Aubameyang versus Thomas Partey could be an interesting matchup. They play against the Comoros, so um, should have no issues advancing out of this group for, uh, for Ghana. And after that, it's anyone's guess because this is the African Cup of Nations. And crazy things always happen in this competition. And that's why it, it, that's why it needs to be loved and appreciated. And I understand that it's happening during your club season. And I understand that it's, it's an inconvenience because... Your best players are being plucked away, but for the love of God, appreciate this for what it is, which is the world's oldest continent coming together for a football festival over four weeks. We, we, we've given every other continent their time in the sun. We gave the Euros their time in the sun. We gave Copa America its time in the sun. We gave the Gold Cup its time in the sun. When the Asian Cup rolls around, we give it its time in the sun. Let's give AFCON his time in the sun. I've seen so much negativity surrounding this competition. And it's so undeserved. And now, now I'm getting serious because I genuinely do love this competition. And it's a shame to, to see how, how many clouds are being thrown over it just because it comes at a time that's inconvenient to fans of club football. As I said, Patrick Vieira said it best. The biggest honor that a player can receive is to represent his nation in a continental or world competition. He will never stand in the way of a player who's been called to wear his country's badge on his chest. That's what this competition means for these players, for these fans, for these nations. Let's respect it and let's enjoy it. And let's not let the minor inconveniences of your favorite players leaving for three weeks and missing like two league matches get in the way of what this is, which is a wildly entertaining competition that needs to be respected on the same level as the ones we watched and enjoyed so thoroughly over the summer. So the African Cup of Nations kicks off at the time of recording tomorrow. By the time you're listening, it's probably a bit closer than that. I will be watching very, very closely. And this is not the last time that the African Cup of Nations will come up on this podcast. I can promise you that. Hoping to get a guest on or two. Uh, I certainly want to preview the final when it rolls around, though that's so far down the road. Um, Expect to hear more AFCON content from this podcast, from this channel, as the competition progresses. Also, expect some Champions League uh, group stage content on the way. And now this is the part where I segue into the end of the podcast. Um, expect some Champions League knockout stage. I said group stage, didn't I? Expect some Champions League knockout stage content coming your way as well. Looking to get some people on to discuss and break down all eight uh, round of 16 ties. 
We'll likely discuss some of the Europa League and Conference League ties as well, because there are some really intriguing, some really tasty matchups there too. So all across the board, um, you're not going to want to miss any of it. If this was your first time tuning in to the Tactics Room, first of all, again, thank you so much. I really, really hope you enjoyed. Um, please, if you have not yet already, go and follow me on Twitter at WillFowler5. Go and follow Breaking the Lions on Twitter at BTLVid. Um, and check out our website as well, www.breakingthelines.com. That's where we put everything, everything is over on that website. Um, and if you like what you heard here, you're going to love what you read over there. Daily content, player analyses, match analyses, manager analyses, opinion pieces, everything under the sun. Anything you can possibly imagine. Actually, this is not even a joke. This is like completely serious. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm prepping for a podcast, and again, if you listen to the last episode, you know that I don't do these off the cuff. I've got my document in front of me that I read from because I take notes because this kind of thing, you can't just go off the cuff for 50 minutes. So I've got things written down and I go by bullet points, but... Um, if there's ever something that I'm discussing, whether it's a player or or a, a side or anything that I don't feel fully comfortable talking about yet and that I want to do research on before I jump in and, and actually publish it out to the world, I'll Google a player's name, like whoever, blank, blank analysis. 95% of the time, the first thing that pops up is a Breaking the Lines analysis. Article. It actually scares me how many player analysis stories are on that website. It, it, it frightens me because I think sometimes that they're listening to me. They know who I need to hear from. They know they know who I need to do research on. And it's like, oh, look at this. It's a, it's a piece on Mikko Damsgaard from, from May 2020. Beautiful. I mean, I just, you know? So uh, that that's my long-winded, egotistical way of saying there's a lot of great content over on Breaking Alliance by people more than just myself. So you're going to go want to check it out. It's all fantastic, fantastic stuff. Again, follow me on Twitter, at WillFowler5. Come back here next week for episode 12 of the Tactics Room. It's going to be a good time. Um, hope you do join us. Uh, I will uh, I will see you then. With that being said, thank you again so much for tuning in. My name is Will Fowler. You've been listening to the Tactics Room podcast presented by Breaking the Lines. <laughs>